life might hand you budgets, schedules, family, and responsibility. But driving shouldn't be just another chore. We're here to help you find a car you love. Something that fits your budget and your needs, but is fun to drive and makes you look back. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car to Be. Welcome to, I can't believe I'm saying this, podcast 300 of the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Amazing. I cannot believe we've reached 300, honestly. I'm floored. It's been coming up on four years that we've been doing this. And, you know, it's been an outlet that has really been in, uh, like I said, a a place where we can reach people on a weekly basis so far Mm -hmm, sooner, you know, than, uh, than videos. It's been great. For sure. And, and I have to give a couple of disclaimers right up front on this podcast. First off, it's probably going to sound a little different. We are on, we would kind of call our backup studio setup back to the days when we were in two different locations. We, I'm not in the studio, neither is Paul. He's actually out of state. So we're using backup gear that hopefully still sounds good, but it will sound different to what you're used to when we're both in studio together. So there's that disclaimer. But more importantly, I would like to, to give a, a, a mention to those of you that are joining us for the very first time on this podcast. Uh, you're going to listen to this podcast and wonder what exactly we're doing. Because normally we do things like talk about cars. You know, we actually debate cars for you that have written in. Uh, that's not tonight. On our 100 intervals, the 100, 200, and now the 300 podcast, Amazing. we only answer questions from the audience, which we normally take questions, but we only answer questions from the audience this entire podcast episode, and they cannot be about cars. I'm uh, a little scared here because of the amount of questions. We hope we can get to them. But before we jump in, I will say if you've mm-hmm. got your own car debate, write to us at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or on the website. There's a way to contact us through everydaydriver.com. And that's where yes. we ask for your debates. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your story, hear the background. And that's for car debates. But what we usually do is towards the end of every podcast, about 20 minutes or so, we take social media questions that are mm-hmm. relevant news items, things on your mind, what's going on, and I think uh, we love it. I, I know you guys love uh, asking the questions and hearing answers, and heck, we even learn a lot doing that. But this is all social media sure. questions, no car stuff at all, and again, this is just a, a way for you to get to know us more and us to share and and uh, it's quite the opposite on other podcasts. We try to shy away from you know personal stuff, but not this time. This is all personal stuff. Well, well, I would say it's all personal stuff that's random. We do plenty <laughs> yeah. of personal stories that relate to the car thing. It's right, just this, right. we have no idea where it's going. And, and actually, the closest we'll get to cars, if you've asked a car question tonight, not going to get covered. And I will also admit that there's like 200-something questions total across all the media. So there's no way we'll cover all of them. But thank you so much for all these questions. I will start with wheels, but not with cars. Okay. There's been multiple questions about mountain biking. Now, we've gotten to summertime here in Park City. It's gorgeous. About the only other wheels you and I obsess over that are not cars are mountain bikes. We love going mountain biking here. Park City is wonderfully set up for mountain biking. Yeah. We've got multiple questions about mountain bikes. I wanted to touch on those real quick. Also, it's interesting because a couple of you have asked about our gear. Uh, in a random turn of events, we may wind up with a, a, a show sponsor that is a mountain bike company. That would be amazing. We would love that because we would 
we would ride those bikes a lot. And I am in the market and, for a bike, so that's yeah, good timing. And you would know the brand, and you would know it. If, if that comes through, we would be thrilled. That would be amazing. That'll be very cool. So we'll see if that happens. But for the moment, you've asked uh, what kind of stuff we ride. I have a uh, – okay, the tires come in three sizes on mountain bikes. You're going to learn stuff you never knew if you've never heard, heard about mountain bikes. Because I'm now shopping, which means I'm car researching but for bikes. So it's gotten nuts over here. It's astounding uh, you the have, prices, though, that you keep, keep coming back to me and you think – well, I found this manufacturer, and this mm-hmm. bike is, you know, $5,000 starts at kind of the entry level for this manufacturer. Yeah. And we're astounded, thinking, wait, we've done the $5,000 car debate. Are you exactly, me? exactly right. So I, I ride what's called a Fuji 2.0. It's a bike from about 2012. It is a 26 inch uh, rim. You can get mountain bikes now are either 26, 27 and a half, or 29. Uh, it is a large frame. I actually kind of need an extra large, but I bought this as a used bike, got a good deal on it. It has been great in kind of getting me into mountain biking, and now I have outgrown it both because I'm a large person and because I've become a better rider. Uh, so I need to get another bike, which leads me to Kyle's question, which Kyle has a 1998 hardtail, meaning no rear suspension mountain bike. Should he put new components on that or retire that frame? Uh, Kyle, my friend, um, these bikes have changed so much since 98, you need a new <laughs> yeah. bike. I, I mean, the thing is, the thing I've realized, here I have this 2012, and as I've been looking at, at newer bikes, it seems like most manufacturers did major changes in like 2014, 2015, and that has been a, almost a revolutionary change just from the bikes in like 2010, 2012. Right. So I can't even imagine, Kyle, how much you're going to be astounded by the change in tech. You'll also be a little astounded by the change in prices, but uh, you need to get a new mountain bike, a new tech mountain bike. You will, you, it'll revolutionize you. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, what you could do is take a hacksaw and cut a little chunk of frame out. I mean, of course, the bike is now <laughs> going to the garbage. But if you want to have a nice memory and color match, if that's your favorite color later on to a build car that you're funny, doing, funny. you could there, do that. There you go. But the best You somehow thing, made it about cars, yeah. The best thing to do is to give it to somebody who would use it because of mountain bike technology is so amazing. I mean, the price shoots up, of course, when you graduate to carbon wheels or carbon frames and all that stuff. But Yeah, I don't need that. You know, components notwithstanding. There's so many nice ones, but the technology and the rake of the frame that mm-hmm. classifies the different kinds of bikes and the different needs, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. amazing. I mean, and to be honest, it's not gimmicky. It's along the lines of what Todd and I have discovered about skiing, and those are the fat skis for powder and the super side cuts that mm-hmm. you know got introduced years ago now. But ski technology has changed people's techniques, and it honestly sure. it makes yeah. people enjoy it better. Same thing with mountain bike. You think, how much more could they do? And the frame geometry... And, and massaging that and the suspension components, it's quite astounding what, uh, what's available and, and how they fit kind of the bike to you and your style and your mm-hmm, ride. And mm-hmm. They even ask us yeah. that, whether we're doing the flow trails and putting our bikes on the ski lift. And what they do here at Deer Valley, as they do a lot of places, they stagger every other chairlift and they put the oh, bike yeah. carrier that'll carry four bikes, so the quad bike carrier flat, they used to just hang them off uh, off the chairs themselves, but no longer. They do it right. The, the bikes yeah. are riding properly on their two wheels, and then every other chair, obviously, they load four cyclists on and then send you up with your bikes. They unload the bikes for you at the top, and they're handing you your bike right as you get off so you can jump on the flow trails and head it's down, craziness. whatever suits your style and your speed and and it's amazing. So it's like 40 bucks for the day, you know, so you've got all day long. But 
Well, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the downhill flow trail stuff. I mean, there are three basic categories of bikes. I'm, I will admit I may not get this exactly right, but this is the research I've been doing. So here's your your mountain bike uh, rant for the night. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. the all mountain there's the all mountain mountain bikes, which is kind of the mountain bikes you imagine, but generally at this point they probably have uh, suspension front and rear, and they look like a normal bike geometry, like you expect a mountain bike to look. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have what's called downhill bikes. Those are the ones that look like motocross bikes without an engine. They have that kind of shape and rake to the forks and they just look really hardcore because you don't you're not worried about riding them up you just bomb them down in the middle is something called enduros where they've got more suspension travel and they're a little bit more stretched out if you will than an all trail bike all mountain bike but they're not the full downhills you and i took our um, all trail bikes last year on a downhill flow trail yeah. and suddenly realized how out of our depth we were so uh it's, <laughs> Guys it's amazing bikes whipping past us oh seriously and 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 actually uh, uh, S16erg actually asked on Instagram, what do we look for in a mountain bike trail? My perfect mountain bike trail is about 40% uphill. I want to work for it. I want to have that experience. But then it's 60% down, fast, flowing. We have some trails here that are surprisingly rocky on the descent. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realize I'm just too big for my bike. But, uh, but they're still really fun. And I just like the challenge of it. And I actually enjoy the 40% up and 60% down idea when I can find it more than just the straight downhill. Straight downhill is very fun, but something about mountain biking, I like working for it. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, for the time being, I'm on a Cannondale, and uh, that is a habit, aluminum habit, and it's got the lefty front fork, which is pretty astounding, this technology. It's needle bearings riding on a square within a square, so it's really strong. You'd think it would wouldn't work, but it's amazing actually. So for now, that's that's what I'm at. I just I always love Cannondale because I visited their design studio in Danbury, Connecticut, and all these guys were mm-hmm. into cars and bikes and RC cars, and they just, you know, full Funny. of design magazines, yeah, and I, yeah. I really kind of connected with the team, and so I, I always, of course, loved Cannondale growing up as well. They were always an aspirational bike, but of course, there's so many good ones now, and maybe this bike sponsor would come through, and you would know about it. You will know about it when that when that happens. <laughs> we're hoping for that. Well, because we're, we're just obsessed a little bit with getting back on the bike because the days are wonderful right now. I hope whatever yeah, your are. summer activity is, you are prepping for that and will have a ridiculous amount of fun with it. We're having, at least the first time in my life, I've lived somewhere where the seasons are so extreme. Now living in Utah, I mean, I realize I've been here for years now, but it, it strikes me every time we have a transition how much I kind of long for the alternate season, the one we're coming out of. I'm like, oh, but now I get to do whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had that yeah. longing for skiing right around the time things got cold, and now I really, really want to get on the bike. I can't wait to get out there more and just, yeah, challenge myself. It's, it's so much fun and exhilarating, and you get filthy, and it's great. Uh, all right, so there's a lot of questions on here about our jobs, our day jobs, behind the scenes. What are we doing yeah, 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 to yeah. support ourselves as the show grows and as we push it towards being the only thing that we do, which for me is actually now. Uh, you, many of you probably knew that I worked for Autodesk, the software company, tech company, and was based from my house doing traveling to car design studios and it'd be funny because I would be at, a say, a car show, and some people would know me from that job wearing the you know car design hat versus wearing the automotive journalism yeah. hat. And I'd always have to kind of figure out, who am I talking to? How do you, where do you know me from? Or, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as of this point, I am full-time everyday driver and expect that to continue. We... Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very excited, as a matter of fact, but underwent a, um, 
a, a company getting rid of a lot of employees, and companies do that all the time. And I was part of the automotive team supporting, as I said, all the automotive design studios, primarily on the West Coast, and including yeah. all the startups, the Chinese-funded startups, whatever that is, and getting to know a lot of friends there and hope to kind of cash that in and, and get access to a lot of uh, interesting, maybe electric alternative vehicles you know, not alternative, but just cars in general. So we'll see. I know about what you that. mean. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no longer with the tech industry. And my sister said, uh, you know, I, I think you maybe glanced in your rearview mirror just once. You shed a little tear over that, but <laughs> everyday driver has been something that both you guys have wanted to do for a long, long time now. As you know, yeah. we've been doing yeah, it. Yeah. Podcasts coming up on four years. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually recording this from Alaska. Uh, I am up here with some family, getting some family business done, a little bit of vacation. But uh, so if you hear some chainsaws running in the background, everybody's outside <laughs> trying to prepare for a campfire. And uh, there might be a little bit of background noise. But anyway, Alaska, uh, we have chainsaws. Well done. <laughs> no kidding. Well done. Well, I've been slowly transitioning out of my, uh, my, my history has always been the film industry in one way or another. I've been slowly transitioning out of that over the last few years and taking on more, or let me put it another way, the show taking on more and more of my time and editing for other people taking on less. That's been a slow transition over the last couple of years. Obviously, Paul's been able to make the jump right now. We also are, uh, as part of this whole transition, we are also uh, starting to take on a little bit of independent production where we're doing and uh, small videos for companies that need stuff because it's just supplemental at this point to what the show creates. But the show creates enough work that both of us have a full-time job worth of work keeping everything kind of in motion. We were having a conversation today about season three with one of our season three sponsors and also discussing season four. By the way, we haven't even finished shooting season three yet. That has nothing mm-hmm. to do with podcasts or films or trips or none of that. So right. there's a ton going on. We love it. <laughs> the films but, that we are planning for September are that shoot and the trips and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the emails uh, that pour in the door. It's amazing. It is, it is becoming more and more all we do, but financially it doesn't quite cover everything. So there are still things we supplement. I supplement as an editor. We supplement doing independent production. These are the other things going on. But the show is the focus, and we're excited to see what growth that brings for sure. Very much so. And, and you should start to find us on other podcasts. That's burning. Our intention is to share our love for cars and also the buying tips and driving techniques mm-hmm. that we've acquired over the years to share on other podcasts that have an audience who might not think about it, but it could work, where they think, you know what, as a refreshing change, I'd like to hear these guys, or, or whatever that is. And so an example yeah, yeah. would be the NTM podcast with Jan Black and Laura Owens. That is the Nobody Told Me podcast, and they are fantastic. Yeah. They have a lot of different guests. And we said, hey, we'd love to uh, talk about cars on your podcast and reach a different set of ears and listeners. And so, again, if those listeners have gravitated towards number 300, we're suddenly not talking about cars, and they're probably confused. Yeah. Yeah, but, you're sitting here going, I thought this was a car <laughs> show. Right. It isn't tonight, but otherwise it definitely that's is. Right. So uh, that's, speaking of other podcasts, Scott Berger wrote in and said, uh, in a world without cars, what podcast theme or topic would you host instead? Mm, this is great. I, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I would love to do another podcast. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, no, I know, I think what yours would be, but uh, I, I've talked about and alluded to mine, but, but go ahead. I'm, I want you to share. Well, I'd like to do a story podcast, and I say that on a lot of fronts. I'd like to do a podcast that 
analyze a story, as in, let's talk about this novel, let's talk about this film. Film would be the easiest access thing because it's an easy thing that everybody could go and watch. But also just telling stories and not necessarily at all about cars. I just, you know, I, I, uh, I blogged for a while. I actually wrote a lot of stuff on my blog around the time my son was born. And it's just one of those things that I don't, don't get a chance to do anymore. But I like, I like sharing stuff. I like telling stories and sharing stories and breaking stories down. I would love to have a story-based podcast. My concern would be it would become the, the Todd rant. Uh, your sister <laughs> refers to this, this podcast as the Toddcast. I've decided if I did another yeah. podcast by myself, that's what I would call it. I'd just call it the Toddcast. But uh, I don't know if anyone would listen. It would be part <laughs> rant a lot and a lot, <laughs> lot of story discussion because uh, I just I love – Telling stories, breaking stories down, thinking about story. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. I would run a Watches, Whiskey, and Design podcast. And many of you, okay. thank you for writing in. You've said uh, which whiskeys and which watches. But I would add design to that. And that is my love. Design can happen on the lowly $2.99 toothbrush. And it can yeah. also happen on a yacht for the Sultan of Brunei. It doesn't matter the budget for good design to happen it matters actually budget constraints and design brief constraints and that's usually where great design happens i mm-hmm. worked for an employer named richard holbrook in los angeles for a long time and richard actually graduated in the same car design graduating class as chris bangle who used to lead bmw design it was mm, yeah. he and another guy and chris and he went to work in paris for renault or peugeot and spent four years there, and he was done. And he came back to Los Angeles and started his own design business. But working for him taught me a lot about my own self and my own taste. And I'll give you an example, mm-hmm. and that is none of us has $100,000 to go spend on furniture and outfit their entire house with the furniture they want. You have a piece sure, that you sure. acquired from mom and dad, and then you got yeah, that armoire yeah, yeah. from grandma, and a hand-me-down thing here, and oh, we needed some Ikea stuff to fill in over here, and everybody yeah, has this yeah. hodgepodge of furniture in their house, generally speaking. Nobody has thought, you know what? This is my taste. This is going to match. I'm going to throw in some nice pieces here and outfit my entire house with the best furniture <laughs> that I want to own. Nobody sure. can do that. And so if you could... What is your style? And so I, I studied a lot of that about the designers mm, whom I like, mm. a, a lot of European designers, a lot of European brands. That definitely is what I gravitate towards. The Bauhaus design movement, of course, being the foundation for any good industrial designer skills. And Wow, I'm already looking, lost, but I'm fo- <laughs> trying to follow. Trying, trying to, to pull follow. it back, well trying to pull it back. But uh, looking at furniture and thinking, all right, that is my taste. Just as a watch says something about you, whether you wear one or not, and this what is, is true. that watch? It says something about me either way. You're right. Absolutely does. <laughs> it, and, and you notice, and the people who are into specific brands or they know that you bought that watch for a particular reason, they notice it on your wrist and you think, you're a person of discerning taste or class or whatever for whatever reason. I bet you're full of interesting <laughs> or, or, stories. Or you're an idiot. Yeah, no, that, that happens no, to no. be. I'm not trying to apply <laughs> that in any way. I'm, I, I'm not. teasing you. Just teasing I'm you. Not. Keep going. And so then from a, a whiskey perspective, that comes along with contemplating life and here in Alaska that's what I did with my dad actually and sit around the campfire by the river and mm-hmm. you know the the cool breeze is blowing in off the river even in the summertime and just it's more about the life experience of it, it it's not necessarily the whiskey itself even though it's got to be something good flavor and all that stuff you savor it <laughs> savoring life and savoring whiskey and okay. appreciating right. good design and you know 
having a discerning eye is what all these subjects relate to for me, and, and that's what I appreciate. And so I would, yeah. I would discuss a lot about discernment in these categories, but how it relates to your, the rest of your life. It'll be an aesthetics podcast. I see that. A lot sure. of it. That's, Absolutely. That's a lot yeah. of it. That's why we buy cars. We yeah. like the way mm-hmm. it looks. It's, yeah. uh, it still relates. Do you see Snow White MR2? We've got some funny, ridiculous, fast ones in here. Snow White MR2 wrote in, if you had to wear clown suits for the rest of your life <laughs> or do a walk from the Ministry of Silly Walks everywhere you went, which would you choose? I feel like I already do that the way I walk. <laughs> Uh, hey, I'm doing walks. Ministry of Silly Walks. I showed that to my son recently, and he was just he was howling with laughter. So Ministry of Silly Walks, uh, and and then of course I didn't tell you this. He actually after he saw it because of course it's on YouTube. After he saw it, he said, "Dad, is this a, is this a funny enough walk?" And I said, "Honestly, son, no." <laughs> I said, "Look at what they're doing in Ministry <laughs> of Silly Walks. You're gonna have to kick it up a notch to even compete." But yeah, it would be that. I would do that too. It'd, it'd be the walks thing for me. I mean, you know, heck, you got to break out dancing every once in a while. You do a happy dance or something. Who knows? But it'd be <laughs> definitely that for me as well. Uh, I've got a question from Ty, our friend Raiden's Garage on Instagram says, "What is your number one non-car related guilty pleasure?" Oh, and okay. I All definitely right. know mine, and that is magazines i mean Mm. i am a sucker for architecture and design and cars and yeah uh, yeah you kind of name the subject even jets i'm into jets that aircraft magazine and the europeans have such great magazines like thick tomes of well the paper quality you have a you're a connoisseur of magazines they're always the very high-end things that look well with incredibly thick paper and all that yeah I just, I enjoy that. And to be honest, I learn things from magazines, websites, and places I had never heard of because how do you know to go to the website when you're just starting out? You either have to click through your interests Mm -hmm. and find something. But when you open a magazine, it's a quick read and there's, you know, hey, this information about this article, a lot of it has to do with product design, uh, you know, products, gadgets, tech, uh, photography. It's funny. There's so many subjects magazines related and i i enjoy mm, reading those mm. on the airplane uh, all kinds of places and i just usually it's hard for me to throw them away because of design school always taught you to collect scrap for reference when you're, <laughs> you're gonna make a mood you're gonna make a mood board at some point <laughs> it's coming you know it's coming so i would always be into magazines and it's hard for me to throw them away it's it's tough <laughs> what else did you find i've got i've got lists here but what else did you find Oh, man. There's uh, some stuff over here on Facebook. Oh, spicy food. Do we like spicy food? If so, how spicy do you go? I like somewhat spicy food, and it depends on, I guess, uh, kind of my mood. But interestingly, I've been getting more into spice and lemons. I love tomatoes. I love vinegary stuff. I'm just wondering, are my taste buds changing over time? I I don't know, but I kind of think they are. Probably, yeah. And I've been giving my brother-in-law the gift of... Those uh, spices, the uh, the hot sauces in the box for Christmas, and then I find myself mm, okay. gravitating towards those and borrowing, you know, because Tabasco's hot, but it doesn't have a lot of flavor. It's okay, but it doesn't have uh, you know a lot of flavors these others do, and so I, I do love them, but I, I can't deal with you know a lot. I'll say. I'm typically more sweet than spicy. I don't, I don't understand the world where I got I ate that, but I didn't enjoy it because it was so hot. I don't get that at all. But but everybody has their own thing. <laughs> no, I'm not that far at all. But uh, but yeah, some flavor, you know, kick it up a notch kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Nice. All right. 
Michael Conti wrote in, speaking of, you mentioned planes earlier, speaking of planes, he said, we both mentioned flying in passing. He asked what our actual experience was in flying, and then he asked a follow-up question of, if you could pilot any aircraft from any era, ignoring actual ability, what would it be? Um, Okay, so flying experience. When I turned 16, uh, I was instantly car-obsessed with a terrible car. I had a job. Actually, somebody asked first job. I'll get back there in a minute. But uh, and, you know, I'll just touch on that. I was, I was sacking groceries as my first job. That's what I did. This is back in the days in the South when you, when you sacked groceries, you, you tipped your bag boy. So really? I got a terrible, I got a terrible like hourly rate, and then got a little bit of tips on top of that. Uh, so that worked out okay. But uh, I was using most of my weekly paycheck to drive to an airport outside Houston, Texas, and was taking uh, flight lessons in Cessna 152s with uh, with have almost no horsepower and can be blown in a light gust of wind. But it was very fun, and I was working my way toward having a private pilot's license until I realized, my Lord, this is expensive. Uh, that's what stopped me, because I just couldn't afford it. Uh, but I loved it. I so enjoyed it. I liked I mean, I got to, we were doing instrument testing, and I, I, was, I was thoroughly enjoying it. But I just couldn't continue financially. So that's as far as I got. I've always had an obsession with it. And uh, somebody asked here, what, it, what, I, what was your dream job? What did, oh, yeah, what was your dream of being there? It is. Uh, Gabe asked, uh, I'm doing like four questions at once. It's all good. What was your dream, dream uh, career when you were young? I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. But, and that's why I started taking those lessons at 16. But I realized by college that what I really wanted to do didn't exist anymore. I wanted to be Chuck Yeager. I wanted to be the guy that, well, we hope it works. So jump in there and hope it works. Even test pilots now don't do that. There's so much like, today you're going to turn left for a 1,000 hours, 1,000 <laughs> left turns to make sure those ailerons go left. I mean, that, that's kind of testing they do because everything's right. been so you know CAD built ahead of time. They know even what the airflow is. So it's just about kind of confirming what we already know now in test pilots. So I realized that wasn't really existing anymore, which is kind of leads me to cars. Testing cars is kind of that seat of the pants thing, which I enjoy. So I'm all over the map. <clears throat> but No, I love it. If I could fly anything, I'm going to list three things that obsess me. Okay. I would love to drive a P-51 Mustang. Oh, the P-51 man. Mustang is the top of my list of, th- of things I would like to fly. The uh, F-16 fighter, I've always loved that. It, honestly, the F-16, I just now thought of this, is the Lotus Elise of fighter jets. It's smaller and lighter and more agile than a lot of the stuff around it. Love that. And the SR-71, just because what is this thing? Interesting. I, I love it. I'm uh, going to say my flight experience comes from my dad, actually. And he was always into airplanes, just like I'm into cars. I mean, look up mm. into the sky yeah, yeah, and go, yeah. that's a Mooney. Going, it's a dot. How can you tell? Just like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. and I recognize cars faintly by their signature headlights at night from 50 yards away. And how, yeah. What? It looks like a torch. What are you talking about? And so <laughs> I, uh, I went with him on a uh, lot of trips in his first airplane, which was a turbocharged Cessna 206, which he loved. Mm-hmm. And he was doing uh, insurance then, commercial real estate insurance, or commercial real estate. And then he transitioned to aviation insurance as an agent, hence the Alaska connection, and finished his career in Alaska insuring a lot of yeah. bush pilots and charter folks and that kind of thing. Wow. Planes on floats. And uh, in Colorado, he had a 182, Cessna 182, that we flew all around Colorado. And we'd go plane spotting. And I learned to look up the end tail numbers. 
Mm -hmm. uh, of all the jets and find out who owned what because that's that's his insurance career is you got to find out who owns that airplane so I can go call on them and talk to them about Hmm. their insurance. And so, of course, I learned all the pilot jokes, and I got to fly with him a bunch, and, and uh, I never landed the plane. He, of course, never let me do that, but he would let me take the stick and, and fly around and just feel the aircraft, and I just, I really loved it, but I never had the desire like he did to be a pilot, and mm, uh, it always was translated to cars, but loved it. I mean, he had the pleasure of meeting a guy named Bob Hoover, who oh, was wow. one of Chuck is, yeah. Yeager's friends. He was a pilot who escaped a, a prisoner of war camp. I mean, he he did test flying, like, I, I guess for civilian aircraft, like Chuck Yeager did for the military. Mm-hmm. And he would be known for barrel rolls. And, I mean, he was an old guy. And, and so my dad had the pleasure of meeting him and hanging out with him. And just hearing stories is amazing. But I, I do love aircraft. I love... What they represent, they represent time to me. You get your time. Mm, interesting. Back, you know. Okay, sure, I see that. So <laughs> yeah, I'd say uh, I like your P fifty one idea, but I'd I'd go for the uh, uh, the Blackbird as well, the SR seventy one. I'd do that, and uh, just yeah, having like a, a vintage fifties aircraft, maybe something like oh okay, all right, know, sure, DC three or I don't know, it's I don't know, something like that would be kind of cool. I okay, think. that's very cool. It's very cool. Uh, what let's else? see. Uh, Greg Stone asked, should I get a master's in accounting? Well, Greg, do you want to be an accountant? Would be the answer to that question. I'm not sure why you're asking me that question. Uh, I, 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 if you don't want to be an accountant, then the answer is no. If you'd like to be an accountant, it's probably helpful. Uh, it can be a lucrative career, but I am struggle so much with numbers. I'm lucky to be able to count to this 300th podcast. <laughs> so it's not my area. No, I would say... Be open because there's a question in here about, uh, well, you were talking about it, about, you know, what we wanted to be doing when we grew up. And I I just knew I wanted to design cars. And here I mm. am, an automotive mm, yeah. journalist, and being fortunate enough to drive cars and enjoy them in a different capacity. But I've got the design, car design background to fall on. And that's why I talk about it so yeah. much because yeah, it relates yeah. from, you know, the mechanics and the way a car works to the politics of influencing car design through governmental regulations to, uh, you know, just the, the reason for buying a car and then the pleasure of driving it. I never expected this. I never thought, mm, you know mm, what? Yeah. I want to grow up to be middle management. I can't wait. You know, I never... <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it was car Fair. design. And then I thought, all right, as my career progressed, I'm open. And here you and I are doing this with uh, a future that I am thrilled about because of the the proliferation of cars mm. and new drivetrains and new tech pushing the feel of cars into new arenas it's astounding to me and i i yeah, never I saw that, that coming so if if that's where you're starting out yeah but be open to what that could lead to because you know maybe hmm. you're the you're accountant degree and you're the concierge for a you know, who knows, a yacht company or I, I don't know. It's just you never <laughs> well, know where it'll lead. It's fascinating. Yeah. You you and I doing this show is real evidence. And I know that's what you're saying. Real evidence of the fact that you never know where things are going to lead. And, you know, I set out to be a writer director and now we're making this car show and I'm on <laughs> camera. Well, that was not that was never in the plan. <laughs> what am so I doing on unexpected. camera? That's not supposed to happen. Right. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting. That's for sure. Ha ha. All right. Benjamin D is asking on Facebook, when is Paul going to have us all over for a cookout on his new deck? If you don't know the joke, 
my deck on the back of my house decided to rot away into nothing because, of course, it's made out of wood in Utah. It just got hammered on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so all the deck boards were rotting away. The rail you could push on, probably push your finger right through the paint into the wood because it was kind of just frightening, actually, yeah. held together. I could twist the bolts with my finger. It was not good. And so my deck decided it needed replacing. And the money I could have spent... On a BMW M2, no, my deck had to rot off the back of my house, so I had to buy a new deck, <laughs> which is now all steel and Trex, by the way. Trex is the best stuff. Anyway, not an advertisement for Trex, but it's great here in Alaska. <laughs> it's, it's used everywhere. It's super durable, and so there's not a bit of wood on the new deck, and um, I just need to buy a barbecue grill now. So then maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I like it. I like it. And along those lines, I have to throw this question at you. Uh, do you see Christopher's question on Facebook? Uh, I'm looking for favorite, it. One of my favorite questions of the night. It's one of the bottom ones. All right. So he's, he's asking Paul. This is, this is all bad. He says, so Paul, would you rather sit through your hated movie Daylight eight times in a row or let a two-year-old eat spaghetti in your Cayman? <laughs> I'll sit through Daylight. I will sit through the movie over and over again. Please keep my car clean. <laughs> You're going to learn to cherish the movie Daylight. That's what's going to happen. Uh, I will get that poster. Somebody else wrote to us, I've got the poster from my days at Blockbuster Video. I'm going to find that question on Instagram somewhere. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we have a ton more questions to try to get to. We have a whole other half of this podcast coming, but right now we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about Brush Hero real quick. It is a must-have, I think it is, for your car care arsenal. Brush Hero is water-powered. It's a detailing tool. It doesn't move quickly. It actually, it's this very simple little thing. You look at it and you think, how does this work? It's this very simple thing. It just has lots of torque. You can get two great brush heads, a soft one for sensitive surfaces and a harder one for stubborn, stubborn muck. I used it on a mountain bike and it was brilliant. While originally designed for fast and easy expert-level car and motorcycle detailing, the Brush Hero can clean virtually anything. You name it. Rain gutters, barbecues, lawnmowers, boats, and more. It's really easy to use. Just hook it up to any standard garden hose, flip the handy on-off switch, and start cleaning. It's a great gift idea, too. They've got an extensive line of gift sets and accessories. Everyday Driver listeners can enjoy 10% off their order at BrushHero.com with the code DRIVER. That's right. Use the code DRIVER for this show to get 10% off. You can also find Brush Hero at select Costco and Walmart stores if you don't want the discount. All orders over $40 ship for free. And again, if you use the code DRIVER, you get 10% off. Here's some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. It's kind of weird, right? Well, here's another tip you might also not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid. You know, so you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy. 
They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Geico presents unhelpful home improvement how-tos. A slippery bathroom floor can result in expensive hospital bills. So today, I'll show you how to cushion a serious fall by filling your bathroom with thousands of plastic balls. Just nail a piece of plywood across the doorway and dump in 2,000 multicolored plastic balls. You could try to protect yourself with a bathroom full of plastic balls, or you could get liability coverage through the GEICO Insurance Agency. Visit GEICO.com and see how affordable renter's insurance can be. We are back with all the non-car-related questions for the Podcast 300. This is getting crazy. We're, uh, <laughs> we're getting farther farther away from cars, and yes, I are. think that's all good because uh, it's going to get... Uh, Pretty interesting with Hot Rod Alex's question on Instagram saying, what country haven't you guys been to that you Mm. would love to visit? Hmm. I would like to go to Australia and New Zealand. Sorry, that's two, but I'd like to get down there. I think that would be a blast. I'd love to go in March for, of course, the Formula One race. The Gold Coast would be interesting, (laughs) I think. But yeah, explore everything and have enough time to not just do the touristy things, but Go to the interior. Go everywhere. Just really explore. Yeah, I areas, see that. You know, and uh, and spend some time there. I'd love to do that. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand would be awesome. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, let's see. Cars and comments said, "What is your favorite James Bond movie?" And Scott Durrell followed up with, "And your favorite Bond girl?" Mm, like um, this. Wow. Okay. Uh, so mine is. I feel like a little oddball because. I was living in England from age three and a half to age 10, and uh, there was a Bond film that came out. Of course, that was right in the middle of the... I I was kind of growing up during the Roger Moore years of James Bond. And while I don't think he was the best James Bond, he pulled off the comedy the best, if that's supposed to be a thing. And But let's be honest, he was the first James Bond I encountered, so as a result, I kind of have a soft spot for his movies, even though most of them have aged horribly. Mm. Um, But while I was there, I remember... Pleading with my dad at about the age my son is now, seven or eight, pleading with my dad to go to see the new Bond film in the theater with one of my friends. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a James Bond film. It was the first one I'd ever seen in a theater. It all happened in England. It was uh, For Your Eyes Only, which is not typically talked about as one of the best Bond films. But I'm going to answer that as favorite Bond movie and favorite Bond girl because the girl was atypical too because she was a very strong driving force of the entire plot. And I thought she was gorgeous. Mm. Uh, a French actress, I don't remember her name right now, but uh, black hair, uh, straight black hair and ice blue eyes and major attitude. And I was so struck by her. And uh, the whole thing is a revenge story. She's kind of taking revenge for the death of her father and Bond is helping her is kind of what's going on. Right. But it's right. also the movie with the Volkswagen thing in it. <laughs> and I love you, you relating know. it. <laughs> yeah, and and, awesome. and you know it, it's it, so it, for your eyes only is is an oddball Bond film. It's a little bit of an oddball structure, but it has such a soft uh, spot in my interest because it was iconic for me when I saw it. I don't know that it is the best Bond film, but it's a favorite for that reason. I am loving the Daniel Craig Bond series. I am. Uh, it'd be hard pressed to pick They're one. They're cool. They're cool just loving what has been done with this and i think probably my favorite so far is the latest one specter 
uh, that's been out for a few years now. And my favorite Bond girl, though, is uh, Olga Kurylenko. She is French-Ukrainian, and she was in the 2008 Quantum of Solace movie. And mm. I pretty much dig her. I, I like uh, <laughs> a lot of the things she's been in, but she was in Quantum of Solace. She was she had so many different looks, and yeah, I think she's uh, she's pretty cool. So anyway, I, I like her. Interesting. All right, all right. Uh, let's see. Best memories with each other throughout the years. That could get sappy. Waffy <laughs> uh, Waffy Y wrote that in. Um, wow. Uh, oh, you should tell the New Year's story because that's a ridiculous one. Oh, that is good. I uh, have always come back to this. It's such a, a humorous thing about uh, when Todd and I used to take ski trips. And we still do, of course. They're just 10 minutes from our houses at this point. We <laughs> We're not say, driving five hours to Mammoth <laughs> like we used to. Yeah, true. At the lift. Okay, I'll see you there at the top. And so we would uh, go with you and your wife. Your son didn't mm-hmm. exist at that point. And so this we'd jump true, in the yes. car Friday night after work. And drive five hours, get into Mammoth, California late. So we're leaving out of Los Angeles, five hours in the mm-hmm, car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And crazy. Uh, over one Christmas break, uh, holiday break, we were all in the car and had just not much thought. Just, hey, we're going skiing, you know, over New Year's and uh, let's get in the car and go. And we were driving up and, and it, it was real late. We had left a lot later for some reason, got delayed yeah, or something, yeah. probably traffic. And uh, driving up, and <laughs> I just, I realized we were leaving on December 31st, and I looked over at the clock, and it it said 12.04, and I just looked at Todd and said, hey, Happy New Year. <laughs> and it took a couple of beats before you realized, right, we're going skiing over New Year's weekend. <laughs> Right, happy new year. Yeah, this we're is what like, we do. Cuz we were in the, we were in the middle of nowhere California, so there were no fireworks around. It was, you know, obviously it was midnight. There was nothing. It's just blackness and we're driving a car up to the ski resort. So it was the the least historic uh, celebratory new year's ever. Hey, happy new year. So that happened. <laughs> exactly. The other one that that I thought of was uh when when Paul and I lived together, uh, we were we were two of four guys in an apartment right out of college. I actually you were still in college. I was out of college. Yeah. But um I didn't realize I had this skill, but Paul informed me that I had a skill for accidentally sneaking up on people. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I used to scare the heck out of you at your drawing table. So you, you developed this strange sixth sense for, like, the hair on the back of your neck would stand up when I would ca- – because apparently, by, by uh, genuinely, no effort on my own, I would just appear behind Paul in the morning. I would just come out of the bedroom and just say good morning. But, but from Paul's perspective – I was this apparition that appeared and would, you know, cause him to screw up his drawings. So you had to kind of get this weird sixth sense for wait, Todd's in the room. Raise my marker or pencil or pen off the paper and just try to verify because are you are you back there? Hello, anybody? Is there a body back there? And that I way, know. You know, I, I wouldn't have this weird scribble across my. Wow, that's an interesting design. What happened there, Paul? Uh, yeah, Todd was actually creeping up behind me and scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. No attempt of this was made, but apparently I was very good at it. <laughs> okay, Seow in Hell on Instagram is asking me about my significant other. He said, I'm just wondering about what Paul's significant other drives and why he doesn't talk about them as much as Todd does. Maybe he's just more private. And you'd like to see a picture of my BMW deck, the money that I would have bought a BMW with. Sure, I'll, I'll send a photo of that. I'll put that up on Instagram. But no, <laughs> currently single guy. haven't found Mrs. Schmucker yet, and I'm not talking about my mother either. 
And uh, yeah, still uh, still hasn't happened yet, but uh, we'll see one of these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, Evil Tangents, that's Dale. He said, uh, Dale's actually a climber as well. He said, have I ever had any close calls while climbing? I'd like uh, to hear this, actually. Yes, I've had a couple. Um, one was more like worst case scenario. Uh, we got We got rained off the side of a wall. Uh, I mean, it, it, we started raining, and then it started raining worse, and we had to retreat. And that was just spooky because once the, the everything starts raining, your, your climbing shoes, you're going to watch me equate this, your climbing shoes are kind of like summer rubber. So the same way that your summer tires don't work well when it's snowing outside, your climbing shoes are useless in the rain. Yeah. So getting, getting rained off a wall was scary. But the, the one that was the closest one, I was doing what's called sport climbing where you have bolts in the wall and you're, and you're clipping as you go. And typically you're climbing at a harder level when you're sport climbing. I was doing something at that point was in the upper levels of my ability. It was a 510B or C for those of you who are listening uh, in a place called Rymer's Rock in, in Austin. See, now it's you're Austin. losing me. <laughs> when, yeah. Well, when exactly. I start talking about you, watch movements and your eyes Think blaze. about watches. Think about watches. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I, I'm climbing this, this climb and it had a, an overhang on it and uh, as I'm going up over the overhang I try to clip my next, the, the rope into my next support that d- defends you and I miss the clip uh, and, I'm, and I'm getting tired and I'm getting exhausted and my belayer doesn't want to have any extra doesn't want to tug me off the wall, so he gives me a little bit of extra slack so I can clip it more easily the second time. And I try to clip it the second time, and I miss it the second time, and then I came off the wall. So when you're climbing, you're kind of inchworming your way up the wall. You you climb up a bit, and then you clip the rope, and you climb a bit, clip the rope, and so it's possible to be above your last clip. So to think about this, uh, sorry, much more climbing education than you probably wanted, but if you're, if you're five feet above your last clip, you have a 10-foot fall. You've got to five, fall five feet to that clip, and you've got five feet of rope, so five feet past it. So it's a 10-foot fall. Oh, um, that doesn't I sound like t- fun to me at all. Yeah, well, that's, that's what lead climbing is about. So I was about 10 feet above my last clip, but my belayer, in an effort to, to help me, had given me even extra rope. So... I have to this day a visual memory when I came off the wall. This this climb had an overhang about halfway up it, like a big overhang. And you know how when something happens frightening, your brain kind of speeds up, and so the world slows down? Uh. I'm falling off a wall. I'm falling off a wall. And I have a visual memory of, as if you could hear it go whoosh, watching that overhang go by in slow-mo in front of my face. Just watch the overhang go whoosh past me as I'm falling past it. And I'm still falling, still falling, still falling. The rope starts catching me. I was, it was borderline miraculous I was not seriously injured because what happened, the climbing rope has uh, tension to it, has a give to it. Uh, It's what's called dynamic. It stretches, and that helps cushion you in a fall. Uh, Mm. When I got to the bottom of the cushioning of the rope, uh, I had subconsciously pulled my feet in because my right foot hit the ground and I recoiled. I curled up into a ball and the bottom of the rope stretch, my foot was scraping the earth and then it recoiled back up. So, I mean, inches further and there would have been injury. Um, And I was extremely lucky and will for the rest of my life remember the visual image of that part of the wall going by and me thinking, I'm still falling and I'm I'm probably going to hit. It was really, really horrifying. Thankfully, I didn't. And one of the craziest things to happen out of all of this, there were many crazy things. One of the craziest things to happen was a, another guy and his girlfriend were watching this happen. And as soon as they confirmed that I was okay, he, who was a 
hugely, really successful climber, really good. He was climbing like 512s. He, climbed, he scampered up this thing instantly and set a rope and came over to me and said, get on the wall. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, if you don't get on the wall right now, you will never climb again because you're going you're gonna to psych yourself out. And I hadn't even thought about that. I was still That's kind of amazing. in shock. And he was like, you need to get on the wall right now. And he was right. And I did. And I got on it. And of course, now it was top rope. Then I finished it and figured out where I got myself so wrong. But that's one of the reasons that I kept climbing is because, honestly, I think he's right. I think it would have wigged me out too much. So, yeah, that happened. And that was years before getting rained off a wall later. This was, this was in college. So, oh, yeah. my gosh. You know, something that I've always admired about your stories and climbing is the climbing community that truly is a community of assistance and help. And I'm really looking out for somebody other than myself. Hopefully, because yes, you have yes. to be. I'm always impressed with that, to be honest. Whether it's, you know, like you said, your your belayer or that guy who came over, whatever it is. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. just seems every time you watch a movie about climbing or whatever that is, they're so tight-knit. And very yeah. few, I guess, hobbies like that are as close-knit as climbers. Well, I think it comes naturally because of the reality of the fact that the person that is your climbing partner literally has your life in their hands and vice versa. So there is an instant rapport and trust that has to be created. And I mean, that's that's the whole thing. So it really builds from there. So anyway, I hope that answers that question. Right. uh, Switching over to a vacation question from the legend continues on Instagram. His wife and I, or his wife and he, not his wife and I, correction, are on vacation for two weeks in Ireland. (laughs) I'm just reading what he wrote here. I know. On vacation for two weeks in Ireland and Scotland, what are the bucket list items for the two of us here, and do we want anything brought back? Uh, Well, uh, a lot of whiskey. I'm definitely more into whiskey than beer. The space side, uh, certainly that area. Uh, is interesting to me, and uh, a few distilleries there. I need to probably send you a list instead of naming them here. <laughs> You're but if you'd to like to bring back any whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to bring okay. something back, you know, and swing through Utah, we'd sure love to say hello, and you know, always, uh, always open to gifts of whiskey. So uh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> Just saying, but uh, Paul's otherwise... standing there on the corner with a sign that says, quick, send whiskey. Love we'll it. drive okay, for whiskey. It. Wait, no, that yeah, sounds wrong. That does sound bad, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'd love to see both. Ireland and Scotland would be amazing. Just the driving roads. I mean, we saw it in Bond films. We've seen it you know, yeah, in all kinds yeah, of films yeah. and, and driving roads. And the, uh, the UK folks get their, their driving roads up in Wales and Scotland. And yeah, be awesome. Uh, let's see. The Hop wrote in and said, what editing software do we use to edit the show on? Because of what I do as an editor, I, I work in everything pretty much. I work a lot in Premiere now. Premiere has kind of taken over the Final Cut world. I used to be all Final Cut. Now I'm Final Cut and Premiere. However, I we do produce the show, post-produce the show entirely in Final Cut 10. Uh, for those of you that know Final Cut 10 and are shaking your head because it's not a professional program, it has come a long way from when they released it and kind of uh, walked away. Apple kind of walked away from the professional community when they released Final Cut 10. But they've improved it steadily, and honestly now I can edit faster in 10 than I can in Premiere, and it is more stable. And mm-hmm. those are the things, because we do so much so quickly, these are vital elements 
in in Final Cut, and it, it's the reason that we use it, and it's something that we can. I also like not having to worry about constant software updates. I like to have things stable and the same through an entire season. I realize you could not do the update, but I just like to have things the same through an entire season so nothing changes, and then update down the line. So Final Cut 10 is the answer for that. Mm. Love it. All right, there's questions about Park City. W.C. Dunn is asking, the best restaurant in Park City, for me, hands down, is River Horse. It is. Oh, yeah, that's great. Delicious. It's very expensive. They've got the best halibut. Get a flaky piece of white fish going with a great glass of wine. Excellent conversation. I love that. As a matter of fact, I've celebrated birthdays there. I've celebrated yeah, a lot with you a guys, cool too. It's you a cool place, wife. for sure. And uh, I love that. And then Rescue Pet Motorsports, our friend is asking about what's so great about living in Park City and what's not so great. Mm, okay. All I right. would say the things that are great are the fresh air, mountain living. I, I yeah. grew up in yeah. the mountains in Colorado and love living in the mountains. I'm, I'm definitely more mountains than beach, and I know you very much are too, more mountains than beach kind of yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, And lack of traffic. I love the skiing and the mountain biking and the outdoors feeling. Fresh air is a huge one for me. And scenery. The scenery is amazing. And mm-hmm. the location, the proximity to a big city and to a major U.S. airport, Salt Lake International yeah, Airport. True, true. You can get to Europe in 10 hours out of Salt Lake. There's daily flights to Amsterdam on Delta out of Salt Lake City. You can get mm-hmm. to Barcelona and Charles de Gaulle in Paris, Heathrow. Uh, it, it's amazing, just international flights. And the airport is actually expanding. It's growing. It's going to become huge and amazing. And so having the, you know, I'm away from it, but I'm, I'm very close to the infrastructure of a big city. Sure, and yeah, I'm still yeah, very yeah. much up in the mountains. What's not so great? Yeah, there's depressing winter days when it's cold and not much going on and you you're, can't ski for whatever reason or it's the shoulder season and it's just yeah, yeah. cold and miserable for, you know, you're living in the mountains and the weather turns and you think, finally, summer's here. And no, it's not. It's going to snow three feet because <laughs> you live in the mountains. Sure, yeah. You know, things like gonna, that. Yeah. It's, um, I'm going to give a different downside, but keep going. You know, you could also say, well, you're not close to events and the ability to go out, you know, a night on the town or a night out. There's Salt Lake right there. But yes, it's not the buzz of a big city. But on the other hand, I've Mm, lived for mm. 20 years in Los Angeles and felt that. And while Los Angeles has amazing stuff at any hour and on the weekends, there's 20 different things you could go do. Yeah, there is that downside. So you might be a little bit, air quotes, bored. But if you're bored, that's your own fault. And I, my, the things that I love to do correspond more with that kind of lifestyle rather than I've got to go out to a bar or to a club or I just don't care. Yeah. I, I don't care, you know. So Interesting. I, I love the, the outdoors better. I have a ridiculous first world problem issue with Park City. Um, by and large, I love living here. I feel incredibly blessed to have a home here. Uh, I, we happened to buy at the right time and got I, honestly very lucky, blessed, however you want to look at it. Uh, so I'm very thrilled to be here. You and I both, ha- I mean, we work hard to pay our mortgages. We work hard yeah. to make ends meet. I mean, yeah. this is a reality of life. However, Park City is a city where a lot of the people that live here 
this is their summer home or their one month a month a year home. Or True. you ask somebody in a coffee shop, what do you do? And they go, well, after I sold my latest company. And you think, you're 10 years younger than me. Yeah, I'm so looking for a company this, to buy. <laughs> seriously. So, so there's, this, there's this thing that happens in Park City where there's a lot of people in Park City that are living at a level where I honestly think they pay their help more than I've made in my lifetime. Uh, and it, it's yeah. a little bit warping in reality. And don't get me wrong. I, I have met people that I've been talking about that are incredibly nice people. I, I'm, not, I'm not taking anything away from them as people. It just warps your perception of your own success and your own finances because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going, yeah. um, I can't buy coffee today. And you're thinking about buying a company for fun. That's those <laughs> conversations. You're bored. Are, those conversations <laughs> are weird because it's just such a different life experience than I have. Does that make them better or worse? Not at all. It's just there's so much of that in this city that it starts to kind of warp your brain on reality sometimes. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's me having to reach for a problem. But yeah, that's one as well. You're right, and they're saying the billionaires are pushing out the millionaires. I'd like to just even be a millionaire along with everybody else, right? I, I mean, <laughs> well, I, hey, if, I just aspire given, to that. If they're giving it out, we'll certainly take it. I agree with that. There are yeah. a couple of movie questions. I will have to rant on those, but I didn't know if you wanted to go somewhere else first before I got into movie stuff. I, I think you should get into movies a little bit because there's uh, some architecture and describing my dream home stuff in here. So I, I, I need to oh, touch yeah. on that briefly. But you yes, definitely do. You definitely movies do. Oh, are, this is are be- also great. This will be more than an hour podcast. Who are we kidding? Uh, so uh, Roy Kane said, what is your favorite So Bad It's Good movie? And then um, Aaron Butler asked, what are your favorite movies? So So Bad It's Good movie, I'm going to say one you probably haven't heard of. Condor Uh-oh. Man. I Condor watched that Man. as a kid. I did too. It is, it, it's, it, it's actually a halfway decent premise. It's a guy who draws a comic book. Think, think about this if Marvel did it right now. A guy that draws a comic book that doesn't want the comic book to be unrealistic. So the character that he draws, Condor Man, I- anything that that character does in the comic, he wants to go do in real life to prove it can be done. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. It is an unbelievably goofy, ridiculous movie from the 80s. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's terribly bad. Yeah. It has... One of the the most amazing, we have checked every stereotype box you can imagine, car chases in the middle of it you've ever seen. Some of the actual filming of the car chase is actually pretty good because it's all done practically. They didn't have any, we did as digital effects. They've got a, a pack of Porsches that chase the, the hero car. So there you go. It is actually a, a, it's a car chase I just throw in every now and then and just laugh because it's simultaneously really good and unbelievably awful. So Condor Man is the so good it's bad movie. Favorite movies. <clears throat> okay, deep breath, everybody. Hang in there. Hang in there. <laughs> um, there are so many I will forget more than I possibly think to mention. But I'm going to go on a little tangent here. I used to do this a lot more than I do now because in Hollywood everybody always talks about movies. What I found interesting is there are movies from a story perspective, and there are also movies from the perspective of theme. And theme and story aren't necessarily related. You can have a story that has a theme that you didn't even realize that was the theme. What I started to do with people in Los Angeles, I actually feel there's almost a practice, a, a, a psychology practice in this. I would ask people their favorite five movies, and typically somebody's favorite five movies have the same theme. Not always, but nine times out of ten, somebody's five favorite movies have the same theme. Now, let me be specific. When I say favorite movies, I don't mean the movies you think people ought to watch. I mean the movies that if your best friend said, I've never seen that, you would say, we're watching it right now. 
which is different. Than, like, I could say Citizen Kane is a great movie for all of the reasons it's a great movie. But if somebody says to me, I've never seen that, I'm not going to go, we have to sit down right now. But the five movies that I will say are my favorites all have the same theme. And if you haven't seen them, I would sit with you and watch them this minute. And those are, and I will even tell you what the theme is for bonus points. Those are Unforgiven, Forrest Gump, Lawrence of Arabia, Braveheart, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. The common theme in all of those films is the lead character is a person who is, you could call them stoic, you could call them stubborn, you pick. But they are a person who is pursuing a goal. And in the course of pursuing that goal, they change the world around them. And in many cases, change the world around them for the better. And they didn't set out for that to be their goal. They didn't set out to change the world. They set out with a laser focus on something, and they changed the world for the better in the process. That is the common theme in all five of those films. For extra bonus points, other movies I think are amazing. Once Upon a Time in the West, Sergio Leone's best Western, as far as I'm concerned. It's an amazing film. The Dark Knight trilogy from Christopher Nolan, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Up from Pixar, and The Iron Giant. I am in a state of wow over here. <laughs> and I'm just getting warmed up. I could keep going, I believe but you. I'll stop there. I believe you. It's the same thing about design and watches and whiskey over here. I, I agree. It's, what I love is the, the diversity of, of our own hobbies and backgrounds and how it yeah. still relates to the show. But I, I love that you can talk movies and break story down. It's really impressive. And by the way, Todd is an amazing screenwriter. If you've... Of course, never read of his work or, or any of that, you know, that kind of stuff. He's he, <laughs> therapy for Todd is sitting down and cranking out a few pages of screenplays. That's <laughs> that's work and thought and writer's block and blank white pages for most people. For Todd, it's just sit down and words just blast out of him. It's astounding. I, yeah. I his talent is a, quite amazing, honestly. When I told you I wrote a thousand words today, you always look at me like, you did a what now? I want to come back to another thing about writing that somebody asked here in a minute, but uh, Thomas asked a cool question about that. But yeah, you're, I mean, I just, I love to write. I thoroughly enjoy it. I love to talk story, but it gets, it gets really into the minutia quickly. But anyway, there's a thing. Oh man, I uh, was reading a question here from Andrew S. on Facebook. Is there a hobby or activity that you haven't tried yet, but want to? And that's for both of us. And uh, he's also asking me, Paul, given your love of watches, is there a smart watch that you would wear or are you simply a classic watch guy? I'll answer that really quickly, and that is not really because a, a watch, a timepiece, and just telling the time, there's something to that. There's still uh, a, a sense of, of gravitas and class, and that's mm, all it does. Mm. I've got a device in my pocket, my phone, that does all that stuff. Why do I need a smartwatch? Now, I, I like that you know some dads want the smartwatch because it controls the timer on the shutter for their kids' sports games or you know school, whatever sure, that is. Sure. And it's just a subtle way. It's a non-intrusive way of checking email or just getting a hold of you. I get that. But smartwatches are always going to change, and they're always going to go in the trash. I'm sorry, but as a mm, product designer... Fair. Knowing the thing you design is going to end up in the landfill changes your design perspective and your reason for designing quicker Mm. than Mm. anything. Thinking, this thing that I'm sketching and drawing that I'm so proud of and it's going to get made is going to end up in the garbage? Mm. That's horrifying. Mm. That's a depressing (laughs) thought for most designers. I see that. And when they come to that point in their career, it can be wrenching. It can be... Mm. 
very, very bad, honestly. But if you, a watch will never be that way. It's, it's what it represents. It's time and how valuable time is in all of our lives. And you pass it down. An expensive, valuable watch is never thrown away. It's passed hmm. down. It's hmm. given to somebody else to, I had my time with this. I, I'm passing it to you, to my child or grandchild or whatever that is to go live your life and, and think of me. And, and it's always, it's always going to be. And that's what fascinates me about watches is not the fact that it tells time, but the fact that it represents time and smart watches, they're going to come and go. They're going to be the latest upgrade, waterproofy, gadgety, screeny, who cares? It's going to be thrown away like Hmm. your Fitbit. I guarantee you. Hmm, Everybody's okay. gotten a Fitbit gift. Hey, I've got a Fitbit. I'm tired of wearing it after six months, and it's sitting in your shelf right now. I guarantee it, because mine is. My <laughs> got like a couple. It's like who cares? Do I need to know how many paces that I walked and how many? No, I'm hungry. Let me go to the kitchen. You know, who cares? I love that your conclusion there is I'm hungry. <laughs> I like that pretty much. So hobby or activity? I, I'm uh, I'm back to this. I'm wondering about you about. Uh, a particular hobby or activity, I, I guess it would be more travel-related stuff and photography for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really do love photography and kind of getting more into that world, and the show has brought that out of me in terms of you know filming, you know, being in front of and behind the camera, and going after the the trips to get the shot to you sure, know whatever that sure. is outdoors or in the cities or. And some of my world travels so far have really pulled that out of me and, and given me that hmm. sense because, uh, you know, I come back from the trips and those photographs are there. And you just think, oh, my gosh, the story behind this. You're not just seeing that. You're seeing this this whole story. And so I, I would say the world travel accompanied with the photography would be something I could really get into. Hmm. Okay. All right. I like that. The one that I think of because it's so out of my realm and I've only done it once and there's a lot of things about it that I like, and that's scuba. Oh, and good. I say scuba yeah. because scuba to me is the sensation of flying. It yeah, has that yeah. that float to it, and I, you know, one of the only times I ever did it, I remember f- uh, swimming down a canyon in a coral reef and just thinking, "I'm flying right now. I, mm-hmm. I am an airplane," and that was really cool. Uh, that's not really something I'm planning to get into anytime soon, but I did enjoy it when I did it, so I can see that for sure. Mm, excellent. Uh, Thomas G22 wrote in and said, "Okay." I, I read this, and I want to answer it and be honest, but I also feel like I'm kind of kicking my own butt reading this going, why aren't you done yet? Uh, <laughs> because he mentioned back in Podcast 100, I mentioned in passing I was working on a novel. Um, this is true. Um, I think on that podcast <laughs> I may have talked about how close I was to done. Uh, we're two years later. That novel's not done yet. Um, two things going on there. One, uh, I wasn't very close to done at all when I mentioned it on the podcast, uh, that first time. And the other thing about it is the fact that honestly, I love to write. I don't suffer from writer's block. I can always kind of sit down and write something. Like I said, blasting words out of you, but, but there's no time. I mean, the, the amount of stuff that, that we have to do for the show. And I say have to, because it needs to get done. I don't say have to, because it's a chore I realize so many times when I find the time to write, there's something else I should do with the time or I need to sleep. I hate to say it, but it's true. All of that to say, <laughs> I am overrated. finishing, I no, am finishing a novel. Uh, screenplays are, are numbered by page number because they have a very specific format. Novels are uh, 
completed by word count. As I understand it, your average novel is between about 90,000 and 120,000 words. I have over 100,000 words on my novel. Um, I, uh, I expect to be done with it in the next few months, hopefully before the end of the year, and I will self-publish. Your, your secondary question is, can I read it? Can I buy it when it is out? Sure, I will let everybody know on the podcast it is not car-related. There's cars in it, but it is not car-related. It is a father-son story, and uh, I'd be more than happy for everyone to read it. Uh, hopefully you'll like it, but i got to get it done first. And meanwhile, I'm trying to finish a car show and be an actual father, so writing about <laughs> a father-son story is less important in the list of things to do. But every time I get a chance to just sit and write, man, I love it. I just love picking away at the novel. I love that I'm over 100,000 words. It will happen for sure. A couple of last questions for me from uh, A Day After Never on Instagram thought that he heard that I am a piano player, and you are correct. And he's asking, is Cherney 599 a good thing to get into for an adult beginner piano player for the technical side of playing? I will say yes. To be honest, it is a good method, and that is simply a learning method for those of you who are unaware of uh, Cherney. It's C-Z-E-R-N-Y, named after Carl Cherney. And some have heard of the Suzuki method, which both my niece and nephew have grown up uh, playing, and they're excellent musicians. They're both cellists. And I, yes, absolutely, because I came from a sort of starting at the beginning, you know, learning to read notes and, Mm -hmm. you know, learning to play, reading, you know, sight reading and that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, if you want to just jump right in, I I do think it's good. And I will say, come into it with a mindset of, you know what, it could be good for me, but it might not be for me. So I need to try that and see if that learning method is good for me. If it's not, there are other methods. Like I mentioned, the Suzuki method is is interesting and good as well. So uh, what would be good for more fun playing? And that are simply chord progressions. And there are fake books, are what they call uh, just simply chord progressions for a lot of your favorite songs. And you'll see the guys, the dueling piano bars, use a lot of the fake book technique because... So many song structures are similar and similar chord arrangements, and so they kind of play the melody off what they know the song to be, and they're using just the chord progressions to do that, knowing Mm. that. And it's a good way of kind of playing out your favorite song without actually playing the notes. It's the Mm. same way in art as you are indicating things with your paint rather than exactly painting the human figure. You're just indicating some pant legs and oh interesting okay it's that same kind of mindset but yes i'm actually Mm. kind of getting back into piano as well and having more time to do so and really enjoying it to be honest i'm getting back into jazz and and uh really digging that so uh also evil tangents our friend dale is saying what is the maximum number of porsche items worn at one time and would i ever (laughs) let porsche design handle my home decor top to bottom heck yeah man uh, as a matter of fact, they have a condo tower in Miami where they do just that. You can even park your car at the top of your... Anyway. But uh, maximum number of Porsche items. I'd say unlimited. I'm, I'm shameless, just as you know, some Ferrari non-owners are shameless about their Ferrari wearing pants and craziness. But hey, at least craziness. I've got a Porsche to back it up. So, yeah. You do. That's true. That's true. Somebody asked. I don't, remember, I don't have it in front of me here. But somebody asked. They said, Paul... I don't know why I feel this way, but can you juggle? Because you seem like a guy that could juggle. I can juggle, as a matter of fact. I love <laughs> Isn't that juggling. Crazy. I love I, that's that amazing. Yes, I, that. I can juggle. <laughs> because meanwhile, I really, really cannot. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. All right. So any uh, other questions for you? 
Well, I, this might be a good place to, to land. Our, our friend Ockham wrote in from Germany, and he said, how did we develop such a strong work ethic to essentially juggle this show? There's juggling again. Uh, handle this show <laughs> right. and, and be dedicated to this show while having other jobs. And as we've talked about, we're kind of working our way out of those other jobs. And Ockham, that really is the truth of it. It's just that you and I settled on something we not only wanted to do, but we truly came at it from a place where we wanted to do it because it was fun for us, but we wanted to engage other people in it and help other people and we saw the, the, the potential of it very early on. And because it hasn't been a, a fully funded endeavor or B, something we were able to put ourselves into wholly, we knew it was going to take a while. And so it's just been a, a labor of love because we believe in what it can be, and that has kept us going. I mean, I'll be really honest. <laughs> Having been at it really hardcore for 10 years, I've gotten a little tired. Mm-hmm. I'm a little tired. I'd like to actually just work on the show and not have the other four things spinning at once. But that's life, isn't it? And I feel like, you know, one of the things I hope to teach my son is that there's nothing wrong with the side hustle. And if you don't do the thing you love for the day job that pays your bills, you are still doing it and that's okay. I feel like we have this perception that, and I'm I'm pontificating now, but this perception that if you aren't doing what you love for your job, you've somehow failed. But you know, life takes weird turns. And so if you're doing the thing you love as the side thing while you're paying your bills, you're still a success in that. So, you know, we have pushed hard to make content at a certain level. We still love pushing hard at it. And we believe it'll be all we do. And it'll, you know, I don't know, put it in the universe eventually. But at the same time, it just requires a lot of push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's that saying something like, you know, life is constantly feeling somebody pushing from behind and feeling and realizing that it's you pushing. And I I just, you had that work ethic in college. I did as well. And wanting something to happen so much that it's just, it still continues. It just, we've had that conversation amongst ourselves and and early on just thinking, what are we, what are we doing? What do we want out of this show? What Mm. do we want it to become? And there was a question uh, I forget, I just scanned by it, and apologies. Um, the question, has the show become what we want it to be? You know, five mm. years ago, are we are where we want to be now? I would say, do you ever get to the top of your game and the top of the mountain and think, I've done it. Hey, everybody, come see how good I look. I've done it. Mm. Look at me. I'm... <laughs> no, if you lose the mindset of always wanting to learn and always wanting to grow and that there's somebody who can always do something better than you, drive faster, be better, whatever that is. And you never have that mindset of, I've stopped learning. I I think I'm good. I've memorized the internet. Everyone come see, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, I see (laughs) that. Then you are less well off for that then yeah i think i think if you reach your goal you have to set a new goal that's farther out i think you always have to do that i I agree with that on the other end of the spectrum though if i think about five years ago on the show i think it was ace sound that wrote that in but anyway i don't have it in front of me either great question i think if i think about where we were five years ago we were just about to shoot 50 years of the 9-11 oh my gosh you're right yeah and uh, and I, that was a, a real stretch for us, and it's become a common thing, last year being the only exception, where we've done a feature film every year. We've had kind of put our stake in the ground as doing these big generational comparisons. That's what's planned for this year again. But that was a real, I feel like in many ways, a turning point of us escalating ourselves beyond just a YouTube show when we mm-hmm. did that. 
And it is what I hoped it would be because I've always wanted it to be a TV show, and it is now, which is cool. But at the same time, in those five years, we've done films I didn't expect. And things like our pilgrimage trip and the meetups and the podcast have all happened in that five years. None of those were things we said we want to do these things. So the fact that we're taking trips like this and we do this podcast that we love, uh, those have come out of the last five years, and they were complete surprises mm-hmm. while seeing it grow into the areas that we wanted and be a TV show and those kind of things. So it's it's interesting to see the ways that it has answered the, those questions and desires and also the complete curveballs that have been added to the process. <laughs> Tyler H. says, Todd, have you ever had short hair and can we see pictures? I've seen <laughs> pictures, Tyler. I doubt Todd's ever going to let those out. <laughs> I was in ROTC in college, and clearly I did not pass hair regulations with any hair any of you have seen me with. <laughs> so I had a, a buzz cut like everyone else, and uh, I promptly grew that out as soon as I realized I wasn't going to be a, uh, a test pilot. It was time to stop marching and grow hair out. So that's how that <laughs> happened. I love it. Uh, anything else for you? I'm just curious. There's so many good ones. Uh, guys, thank you. Yeah, this I mean, is amazing. We've, gone, we've gone an hour and a quarter. This has been one of our longer podcasts ever. Thank you guys for listening. I think that's more than enough for this evening. We will be back uh, next, uh, next time with an actual car debate or two and normal structure. So if you want to talk about cars, we will be back for you then. 300 podcasts. Thank you guys for listening, for rating, for reviewing. This is what makes this a top 10 automotive podcast is you guys listening, sharing it, rating, reviewing it. Thank you so much for doing that. I agree. And I've realized that it is you listening that are interacting with us to build the podcast into what it has become and what I believe will grow into a huge thing. I'm really excited by that. So my thanks as well. Uh, Both of us are, are very much appreciative. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Geico presents eyewitness interviews with inanimate objects. This is Brian Bruno live on the scene of a recent windstorm here to describe the event, a chest of drawers. There's a storm howling outside, so I thought I'd stay in and watch a rom-com. Five minutes into the flick, a tree branch slams through the window. Were you hurt? (laughs) I just got a scratch on my chest. Your chest of drawers can't help you in a windstorm, but the GEICO Insurance Agency can help you get covered for personal property damage. Call GEICO to see how affordable homeowners insurance can be. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. Federal government worker Blake Murray in D.C. says he's pretty much had it with the partial government shutdown. It's pretty demoralizing, um, you know, and I feel like kind of a pawn in a political game and totally powerless. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is asking President Trump to postpone his January 29th State of the Union address, citing security concerns. But Republicans say this is just politics, shutdown politics, a move intended to keep President Trump off the national stage. Going to prison for 20 years, a Tennessee teacher who took a 15-year-old student and ran for weeks Prosecutor Dan Cochran. I think it's a serious sentence. 20 years is a significant amount of time. He's going to have all that time to think about what he did, the consequences of it. We asked for 30, obviously, but 20 is a very serious sentence, and we feel good about it. An employee and a customer at an IHOP restaurant in Huntsville, Alabama, were killed in a shooting that also injured another employee. I'm Rita Foley.